if DTMS is above your soldier pay review, then you're probably screwed up, right? So uh, let's take care of those things that are going to help soldiers first, and then worry about those that are focused on the unit. Fellow leaders, and welcome to the Military Leader Podcast, where you can find conversations with today's most successful leaders. I am Andrew Stedman, and I want to thank you for joining me today and for tuning into the Military Leader Podcast and making it a part of your leader development journey. You know, a little background I started this podcast really with the idea that I would share some of the great conversations about leadership that I was fortunate to have in my career uh, with mentors who have invested in me and my leader development. And I kind of think that these are conversations that uh, leaders should be having uh, throughout their career and that, that should be happening really on a regular basis. So hopefully you're getting that in your career. And if not, then maybe the Military Leader Podcast can provide a little bit of that insight for you that you might be missing. So you can find this episode and lots of other leader development content at themilitaryleader.com. If you haven't checked it out, head over, connect on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, become a part of the conversation, throw out your own ideas about leadership, challenge some things that some of the guests are saying, I appreciate any engagement and feedback that you might want to get into. So today I'm very happy to bring Brigadier General Ross Kaufman to the podcast. General Kaufman is the current Deputy Commander of the 1st Infantry Division and uh, is a mentor of mine. Uh, interestingly, though, he's a mentor who uh, I knew for a couple of years before even uh, getting to meet him in person. Yeah, in 2014, he reached out on Twitter and uh, established a mentor relationship with me and began investing in my own leader development, which I truly appreciate. And then I finally got to, to meet him in person last year uh, in 2017 uh, before I took command. Uh, but General Kaufman is the type of person who continually invests in others and invests in the profession. Most recently, General Kaufman was commander of the ops group at NTC. Now, his sole job was to watch brigades come through and train and coach and mentor brigade commanders to become as capable leaders as they can be and to make their formations as lethal as they can be. So he has got significant tactical experience, uh, not just at the NTC, but in combat as well. Uh, he's a fantastic, heartfelt leader. And I think you will really enjoy this conversation. A big thanks to General Kaufman for calling from Europe to spend the time and share these insights with you. And we really just hit the tip of the iceberg of the type of topics and conversations that he and I have had uh, over the course of the last couple of years. So I'm really honored to give you a glimpse of that. And I'm sure at some point in the future, there'll be a part two where we can sit down and even go a little bit deeper into some of these. So I won't delay it any longer. Here's my conversation with General Ross Kaufman. Today, I'm excited to chat with Brigadier General Ross Kaufman, Deputy Commanding General in the 1st Infantry Division. Sir, how are you? I'm doing great, Drew. Thanks for having me on. A uh, big fan of, of what you do on your podcast as well as uh, the, the website. It's just amazing. So, uh, honored to be a part of it. Sir, thanks. Thanks. We appreciate you taking the time there. And you are currently in Europe uh, with the Big Red One. Why don't you, uh, if you would, sir, just take a moment to share with us uh, some of the great things Big Red One is doing right now. The Big Red One, America's oldest division. Uh, obviously, just like every division, we have great soldiers, great leaders. Uh, currently, 2nd Brigade is uh, based here in Europe as part of uh, the RAF forces, regionally aligned. They're regionally aligned to Europe, and they are building readiness, deterring aggression from Russia, 
and assuring our allies on a daily basis. It's really a great mission. They're getting to see another part of the world, and they're also sustaining the readiness that they built at Fort Riley and at the National Training Center. Our uh, first brigade is uh, continuing to build readiness after their return from Korea, uh, where they had a very successful rotation. And they are focused on getting back to a, a level that will allow options for our senior leaders. And uh, our aviation brigade uh, is doing much of the same, as is our sustain, sustainment brigade in Devardi. And now all three of those just completed a warfighter with the division headquarters and uh, really, really gained some great lessons learned and some skills uh, that will that we will carry on whenever our nation calls. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's great. You guys got folks all over the world. It's really cool to see. Uh, sir, I want to I want to dive into asking you about uh, your most uh, recent assignment um, there as the command of the operations group at the National Training Center. Uh, now, this is from what I've heard from from folks who have, uh, you know, who, who I've talked to, that is just a dream job, you know, for any any tactician. And um, so I want to ask you kind of what you learned in that job. And then what did you observe about uh, Army leaders that you might not have understood uh, until you had that perspective? Yeah, so first, you are correct. I mean, being the commander of operations group at any of our training centers is just a very high honor. Uh, it's a great job because you really get to learn the Army uh, and help leaders grow at multi-echelon. Multi it's just one of uh, the best jobs you can do outside of command of a brigade combat team, battalion, company. Uh, it is... Uh, really unique as well because you're surrounded by professionals who are like-minded and love training soldiers. And so uh, that place just really attracts uh, quality leaders. And I was lucky enough to, uh, to be amongst them. The, uh, I think the most, I'd say the, the biggest thing I learned about army leaders uh, when I was the commander of operations group, is that we have, uh, through the war on terrorism, created the most adaptive group of young leaders that I've seen in over 25 years. So they, in many cases, are not uh, very deep on our uh, warrior task and drill when it comes to decisive action, but they're rapidly advancing. Uh, they are... Uh, gathering lessons learned from their peers from their last rotation and applying them and your army our army is just absolutely uh, gaining ground and climbing a near vertical learning curve at a very very good rate um now what i'd say also uh, about our army leaders is that we continue to be one of the very few institutions that is self-critical and when we go through our after action reviews and our culture has we have maintained our culture through the through all these years of war that a leader can be called out in front of his or her subordinates about a decision that he or she made that was incorrect or that could have been made better and we take it we relish it. 
And our leaders really uh, have the ability to take those lessons and then improve in a rapid fashion. Does does the NTC have a particularly uh, unique way of putting people in the situation to learn the hardest lessons? Well, I, I think the NTC does it exceptionally well, and so do the other training centers. Uh, we uh, pride ourselves on never giving a brigade a problem that it can't solve, but maintaining constant pressure. So creating the environment as close to combat as we can, and that's done through an exceptional op four there in the 11th ACR that just maintains pressure 24-7 on that unit from the time they get there till the time the training is complete. We have uh, exceptional simulation tools that allow us to uh, replicate in the artillery, which we've doubled, to we've brought in fixed wing aviation uh, to attack. We have air defense assets. Uh, we have electronic warfare, uh, enemy drones. Uh, this training center, uh, as well as the others, have really stepped up their game. And this is really at the direction of both General Abrams and General Milley, who have been just the champions of the training centers and pushed it, just continued to push it uh, to the next level. That brings someone uh, to the point where their strengths and their weaknesses become apparent, not only to themselves, but to the observer controllers, and they're able to get after those. Sir, if you could recommend one thing to focus on for leaders out there who are heading to NTC, as I am in, in just a month here, what, what's like if you could narrow it down, what's the single thing you should focus on above others? Well, that is a great question. I think that uh, if we're going to look at things to focus on prior to going to NTC or prior to uh, going to combat, understanding enemy and terrain, I think it tops the list. You know, if you understand how your enemy is going to fight and what, what the terrain consists of, that's going to allow him an advantage or you an advantage. If you focused on that, then you could apply your resources uh, to defeat the enemy. Uh, there's several other things that focus on, including, you know, what are the commanders, the enemy commanders' options? When when do you have to make a decision uh, so you don't make it too early or too late? Uh, when you are, have the capability to seize opportunities and what how you want to do that? You never hear about that in the combined arms rehearsal. This is where we're going. If this opportunity pre- presents itself, this is what we're going to do. Thinking those things through. I, I would ask that every leader at Echelon focuses really on, I think those are four things. Yeah, that, that last part there about taking advantage of opportunities, that, that, into, that points to a little bit about risk because we think about risk in terms of things that can hinder us or things we have to overcome. But you know, rarely do we look at, hey, what risk do I need to take to seize upon this opportunity that might be out there? It's kind of flipping it on its head from what we typically think. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that we train, we do a great job of training our leaders on evaluating accidental risk but tactical risk is tough and and so if you do understand uh the enemy and the terrain i mean i mean sun tzu has been telling this this for years um if you understand that and then apply uh what your strengths are then then you can take acceptable risks but here's something that's 
uh, is often overlooked. Is, look, we want you to have initiative, disciplined initiative, and we want you to take risk at your level. But as a leader, you need to understand that when the check you're writing is going to commit assets that you don't own, if it doesn't go well, that's the red line. That's when you need to ask permission. So that's good advice. Um, I, I want to I want to ask you then maybe a little bit about what led to this point in in your career as a leader. Um, you know, who what leaders had the most influence on you? Was there a particular mentor that, that that shaped you as a person? You know, and as a leader. And then what did you learn from them? Well, first, um, you know, my father was a thirty year soldier, uh, both enlisted. Uh, and an officer starting the Korean War, Vietnam War. And uh, I watched him my entire life, uh, listening listening intently of his conversations of leadership and war fighting. That really, if I could boil that down, it would come down to love of soldiers and love of service. That's what he taught me the most. There's a favorite story of mine that... Uh, Elvis Presley was his, in his platoon when my dad was a lieutenant. And so in our house, we had, you know, a book full of pictures of Elvis, you know, just candid pictures, um, pictures of my father, platoon pictures, et cetera. And uh, at one point, someone has to see it and they, they brought it out and they were looking at it. And he said, why? Why don't you sell these? They must be worth a lot of money. And my my father said, what kind of leader would I be if I ever made a single dime off of one of my soldiers? And I just thought that that really uh, was the essence of who he was. And, and, you know, love of service, love of soldiers above everything else. That's what being a leader in today's army is. You know, that, that concept of love has been written about uh, in the last couple of years um, and people go back and forth about how to how to define and how to describe it. Some people think it's a little bit of a soft way to approach leadership in a combat arms unit, uh, but clearly, clearly you don't think so. I mean, how would, you know, beyond that story, like how do you define loving your soldiers now for the contemporary army leader? I believe that you're a, you're a family. I mean, by and large, you're spending uh, a disproportionate amount of time with your soldiers than you are with your family. And, you know, we, we have to get beyond, uh, you know, we, we're entitled as leaders, and these are our subordinates that are faceless, nameless. And what we have to do is we got to learn who they are. We got to... Uh, totally uh, understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, how we can develop them to be better. And, you know, anyone that on anyone that says on day one, boy, I love you guys. Well, that's not true because you don't know them, but get to know and care about your soldiers more than you care about yourself. And, uh, you know, it's semantics at that point, but I, I think that loving your soldiers and making sure that they're, uh, trained and ready for combat is absolutely paramount. Um, loving your soldiers does not mean they get to go home every day at you know 11 o'clock in the morning. Loving your soldiers means that 
you are training them to fight and win our nation's wars. You're training them to be the best infantrymen, armor crewmen, cavalry scout, artillerymen that they can be. And if you don't do that, I would say that you don't love your soldiers, that you have some flawed mentality that you as a leader can walk away from ab- or abrogate your responsibility to that soldier and his or her family. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So much like a coach that demands a lot from its athletes so they can perform a game time that, uh, that, that we need to be tough. Absolutely. Um, has this, has this approach been something that you've, I mean, you said you got it, you know, kind of got a lot from your father, but is that something that's morphed over the different echelon that's, that you've been or had the opportunity to lead at? I mean, how does, how does your leadership change over the course of your army career? So I would say that, you know, as a, as a lieutenant, you're coming in the army and, uh, you have to trust that your subordinates will help you and teach you when you become a company commander or a company level leader, you you are trusting your subordinates and you're verifying that they got the work done. Uh, And then as a battalion commander, it's the same way. And as a brigade commander, I changed because I was dealing with Lieutenant colonels who had 20 years in the army and were very experienced. But I still had to verify. So the basics of of leadership or my my leadership technique have not changed. It's the manner in which you apply them with the competency and capabilities of the subordinate with which you apply. Um, you know that I, I don't know if you've you've ever read anything on the situational leadership theory, but really the situational leadership theory uh, says that there's uh, two elements of leadership and one, uh, is task and the other is relationship. And so a brand new private would get probably 98% task during basic training and 2% relationship. And then, uh, our most elite forces would probably get about 10% task and 90, uh, 90% relationship. So that it's inversely proportionate, uh, because of the skills and incompetence of the people that you lead. Uh, and I think that if, if you look at our leadership manual, then you'll see something very similar. And I think the situational leadership model applies there as well. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, and that kind of points to what you said a minute ago about when you first come into a leadership opportunity and you uh, and you haven't built that that trust yet, you probably hold the reins back a little bit more. And it's a little bit more task versus relationship. Even if it's a capable formation with capable leaders, you still have to build that trust between you and the and your subordinates. As a leader, you must understand those who you are leading before you can apply any um, change in, in leadership style. Uh, I think that you need to go in and assess, uh, go in with trust. And then if Alpha Company Commander is uh, absolutely listening and is moving out in the right direction, then and Bravo Company is just not getting it, well, you, you may need to deliver your message in a different way. You may need to approach it differently so Bravo Company can get it. Like we have to have an adaptive leadership style uh, at all levels. Uh, but when you go from indirect uh, to organizational leadership, then there, there's some inherent changes that need to be made in the leader. Uh, but I'd say that, you know, if you, 
if you deal with authority and accountability as a leader and articulate what authorities your subordinates have and then you hold them accountable uh, at any echelon, you're going to be just fine. Yes, sir. Well, speaking of those young leaders, what do you look for? What qualities do you look for in young leaders with, with high potential? Well, I think, you know, young leaders, the first thing that normally stands out is their energy level. But that's not what I'm looking for. I, I, I want you to have energy, but that's that's not a telltale sign that says that you have extreme potential. But it does show that you, you've come to fight, right? I mean, you're, you're ready to go. Um, but I like the ability of a young leader to listen and then apply uh, what he or she is being told. So one of the most uh, amazing platoon leaders I had as a battalion commander, uh, I went out and visited his training and he said, I, I went, tell me what you're doing and why you're doing it. Why, why did you choose this training? And he brought out my priorities and he said, well, sir, these are your priorities and this is how I am nesting with these to get after your priorities. This is a second lieutenant. I mean, I immediately knew that this young man would, would be a battalion commander or beyond. I mean, just, it just snapped right, right to me. And it's, you know, Malcolm Gladwell blink. I mean, I've seen thousands of leaders. I mean, this, this kid I knew right off the bat. So, um, but, you know, there's some other things you look for, you know, are they humble? Do they care about their soldiers? Are they confident? Uh, can they communicate? But all those things um, can be can be taught. And, uh, you know, I, the develop is it do you develop leaders or do you teach leaders? I, I am. I'm in the development camp. Uh, but through that, there's learning. So there's teaching. Uh, and so I think you develop leaders in each of those areas. But that's that's really what I look for. Yes, sir. I, I do want to ask you about uh, your time as a brigade commander uh, down there in Ready First at Fort Bliss. Um, and specifically, you, you know, your effort to, uh, to use the uh, podcasting and social media to uh, as part of your leader development strategy. Can, can you Talk us through how the Ready First podcast came about and what you know effect you were you know hoping to achieve with the professional development in the brigade. Absolutely. Um, when I took the brigade, uh, it just returned uh, from a deployment, very uh, coin focused uh, by design, uh, highly trained in that. Uh, but we had to change uh, towards a decisive action uh, unit. And, and so what I discovered was that leaders at Echelon had, had not done that in their current job or the job before. So we needed to quickly uh, educate the leaders and certify the leaders so that they could train their subordinate units. And so we were having uh, professional development sessions often. Uh, I think we were in weekly and then we went to bi-monthly uh, and then that continued until we started our uh, training cycle. And 
it dawned on me after about the first two months of the training cycle, I said, we, there's still more develop, leader development that needs to be done. But everyone is, you know, as a brigade trains, goes in a training cycle, they're everywhere and there is no good time. Right? You're going to miss people. And so I started to rack my brain like, okay, well, what medium do I have to reach people that, you know, I can ensure that this is going to happen? So at first I thought, okay, well, I'm going to uh, just sit out slides and maybe some notes. Um, okay, I'm going to send an article out and then we'll talk about it. We'll have a just a, a group chat or a, a blog and we'll just all talk about it. It just wasn't scratching the itch. And so I, I came up with the idea to make, make videos and put those out on a weekly basis to talk about the, the topics that I felt we were lacking in. So we also used it, uh, one of the things I'm most proud about is as we went through company lanes, after the first company went through, okay, these were all the lessons learned. These are the things that this company did well. These are the things that need to improve on. This is shoot, move, communicate, sustained, uh, both during planning, preparation, and execution. And then I pushed those out to the company commanders. Um, and now I'm, I've had 37 company commanders. So one just went through, got it, got the AAR from me in person. And now the other 36 can quickly gather that information. And so that, that's how it started and kind of where it morphed into. So would you record the AAR then or just your notes from that AAR and then send it out? Just the notes. The uh, AARs were recorded, but those went to the company commander and the battalion commanders, as I recall. And did you, I'm curious at, at what level of priority this got, because I, mean, I think you personally, I assume, wrote the script for each one and went took the time to record it. I mean, this is several hours out of your week to, uh, to prepare and then publish these, these videos, was it not? It was. It was quite time consuming and... You know, the weak link in this whole idea was me. Um, so I'd come up with a script and then we'd have it all set up. And you know, sometimes it's at you know, early in the morning or, or at lunch. But I, many of them I couldn't get through in a single take. So you're doing multiple takes, which takes longer, and then there, it, it increases the uh, editing. Uh, but, you know, some of the... Some of my, like I shot a couple from my Humvee and I'm sitting there with a Kevlar on and like I haven't slept in 24 hours, you know, but, but I just wanted to get the information out. And, uh, I think leaders need to do that. Leaders need to identify, Hey, what information is needed and how do you flatten the organization as fast as possible and get that, uh, to the point of change. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, a couple of tools recently, of course, I think you know of Slack as a collaborative chat tool um, for professional development discussions. Uh, we use it here in our brigade. I know many others are. And then one I came across recently is Marco Polo. Um, and you, I'm not sure if you're using this, but it's a it's a video messaging uh, system where you basically hit record and it sends it out. As soon as you stop, it sends it out to a group of uh, you know, to whatever group is on your, is connected with you. So you can, you can take a lesson immediately from say a, you know, let's say a company lane and then re record it and send it out. And, and it's, and it's immediate, you know, three to five minute clip uh, of lessons. And I think there's some potential there. I know a couple of my buddies are trying it out in their, in their units.
No, it sounds great. I, I think that the only, if I had to make a change other than getting a stunt double to play me, I, what right. I would have done is I would have followed it up with the uh, written notes because the video is great. But uh, if you shoot out notes and someone's watching the video and they can kind of make notes as they go, uh, they can always refer back to the video, but I, that's what I would have done differently. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. You know, this makes me, kind of makes me think of something I'm a, that I'm experiencing here, you know, in my, in my command experience. And that's maybe something we don't talk about specifically, but it's that requirement or opportunity really for a leader, you know, company commander, battalion, brigade commander to transmit his experience and knowledge in, in some form. And sometimes that takes an LPD program. Sometimes it's teachable moments. Sometimes it's written form and white papers. Leaders take different methods there. But as you think about command and leadership opportunity, that is really a big part of it, isn't it, sir? That this idea that you're going to, that you are going to shape what they know, what your team learns and, and how they learn. I mean, that's a, it's a big component of it. Well, it absolutely is a big component. And, you know, the, the danger is, is that, you know, as a brigade commander, uh, you're the best platoon leader in the world. And you could, you could sit down and do every platoon AAR, but that's not your job, right? That's the battalion commander's job. And the la- the difference of four years between you, uh, he's probably, or she's probably going to hit 98% of the things that you would have anyway. And so what, one thing that, that we did that I would recommend for everyone is, uh, have a very candid, what don't you know session. And so as you, as you're trying to transmit, uh, you know, lessons across the force, it would be very helpful if you knew, uh, Hey, listen, uh, Charlie Cup commander's never done a combined arms breach before. Has no idea how to do it. He's, he could, he could talk you through the PowerPoint slides, but in time and space has no idea. And then let that be the, the list that informs your professional development. And once you have that list, stay on it, prioritize it and stay on it, ensuring that uh, you're covering all of this. And let's say that it was only uh, one battalion commander that had actually never fought at the National Training Center. I'll use that as an example because we get that a lot. Okay, well, hey, brigade commander, during LTP, why don't you take personally take that battalion commander around and stand on a piece of ground and explain uh, what that terrain is going to do and the tyranny at distance. You know, we see uh, we see people going from light forces to uh, motorized or mechanized forces and back. You know, so you may have a someone who grew up on on strikers had never been to JRTC. Okay, well, what's that? What's the difference there? I, and and I think that we don't do enough of that. And if you do have a, have a session where people are kind of bearing their soul, you got to take that seriously because one thing that is not very good in our culture is the self-defacing. Oh, I don't know how to do that attitude. Uh, it, we're all, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm ready to conduct a deliberate attack. I know exactly how to do it. I, you know, I watched a movie. So, no, you don't. And your, your graphic control measures are going to be in the wrong spot, et cetera. Yes, sir. We also overstate the number of, of repetitions 
or I guess under underestimate the number of repetitions that it takes to become experts at that because because you've done it a you know attack uh, two three four times you know in the course of a career doesn't necessarily mean that you've still got the skills or even at that echelon. Right. Or uh, or my favorite is oh no I I know how to do that I I was in a brigade talk as a captain. Okay, well now you're the brigade commander. I mean, so the last time that you were in there, you were the battle captain. I mean, there's there's a there's a big difference between being the brigade commander or the brigade. So, you know, so just just being aware, self aware of what your weaknesses are, and then staying after them. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, and then somewhat related to the podcast there, sir, is, you know, the engagement on social media. Uh, and, and you've been uh, quite you know prolific at sharing your thoughts and sharing resources on social media uh, for the past several years. You know, what would you say to the leaders who are maybe a little bit skeptical of, or maybe they just don't know uh, about the advantages or, or how they should conduct themselves uh, online? Well, first, I think that we all just need to come to grasp with the idea that we need to engage our subordinates in a manner and a medium that they're comfortable with. Right. So if someone has to be uncomfortable in the development process, it probably shouldn't be the junior. It should probably be the senior. So what I'd say is, you know, get out of your comfort zone and listen, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you know, not truly understand some of the uh, jargon or what's available to you. But it's all for them. And as long as you can convey thought and they'll tell you how to make it better. And so I'd say absolutely we should engage on every medium we can find that's going to reach someone that is subordinate to us and make them better. And look, it doesn't have to be a video. It doesn't have to be a blog. Uh, it can be as simple uh, as a Twitter post and it could be a retweet of something else and say, Hey, you know, ex battalion leaders read this. I want to talk about it next week. That's using social media. I, it's, we need to be comfortable uh, using communication in whatever way is going to work for our subordinates. Yes, sir. Uh, before we wrap up here, sir, I do want to I want to ask you two questions. Um, the the first is uh, about the tactic about the really the junior leader. So I'm thinking of the company commander and the first sergeant team that are out there, and you know, as you know, much of the army ends up coming down on that first level of command that we have, and they have and they have a ton of systems they have to plug into and a ton of things that become priorities. What advice do you have and what advice are you giving to your first infantry division company commanders and first sergeants as they handle the challenge that they're, they're facing today? Okay. So this is the best question you've asked me, uh, since the interview started. Um, everything comes down on the company commanders, divisions, commanders know this, uh, senior leaders, uh, across the army and they're trying to crack this problem. And so it comes down to a couple things. Number one, figure out what is important to you and your boss and then prioritize them 
and don't do anything else. And that's really easy to say. Right? Yeah, well, no kidding. I could have come up with that. It's like, you know, uh, arm terms are important. I, I understand arm terms are important. But then go to your boss and say, look, on my list of things that are important, here they are. And these are all the administrative areas. And so if DTMS is above your commander's financial transactions, I'm sorry, your, uh, your soldier uh, pay review, then you've probably screwed up. Right, so uh, let's take care of those things that are going to help soldiers first, and then worry about those that are focused on the unit. Is DTMS important? Well, absolutely. We have to plan training. We have to get that out there. But if you're not, as a commander, reviewing uh, your soldiers' pay, well, that has impacts beyond training. It has impacts uh, to morale and welfare of families. Um, but have that conversation. Um, the ne- next thing that we, we've got to do when it comes down to company command, look, I, I am a huge believer in uh, heritage months. I mean, I think that it's, it is absolutely incredible. We, we celebrate diversity in our, in our country. We celebrate diversity in our army. Um, so we'll have a, a certain heritage month in January. If I was a company commander, a battalion commander, a brigade commander, I'd say, in addition to that, this is arms room month. In, in January, we're, got, we're all going to fix our arms rooms and, and work through those. Um, and then I would be ruthless as a battalion commander, company commander, that there is absolutely no taskings in email outside of the battalion three. So what this is, this is the phenomenon of, you know, battalion and brigade commanders think, Hey, listen, I've, I've solved this. Anything within, you know, pick a month, you know, two months, I have to approve myself. And, and nothing, you know, if they're doing their job, then nothing's getting passed to the company within two months. But if the command sergeant major of a battalion says to the first sergeant, Hey, I need all this. I need every NCOER for the next three months done tomorrow. Well, what do you think all the NCOs are doing across the entire formation? And so we have to be ruthless on what manner everyone everyone in the entire organization is communicating and there's, there's inherent responsibility for the subordinate, the the company commander and the first sergeant to have their stuff together, right? They, they have to have all their, their weapons service. They have to have their nods purged. They have to turn in their excess equipment. I mean, that's the ticket to the show. That's not a priority. That's, that's your job. You got to, you have to have soldier, and equipment readiness, but put that at the appropriate level. And this is something that I see company commanders struggle with every day. When I was a brigade commander, my sergeant major and I were talking about dental stats and I was really trying to solve this problem. 
And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, why am I worried about dental stats? There's a team leader out there. Let's put the authority and accountability at the right level and have the team leader responsible for personnel readiness. And then it kind of takes care of itself. We used to call them 30, 60, 90 boards where a platoon sergeant would have, hey, listen, in 90 days, Jones needs to go to the dentist. Um, and we've kind of gotten away from that. And so those things will help. Uh, but I, I think the other thing that can help is a company commander clearly articulates to his XO and first sergeant. It says, first sergeant, you have everything personnel. Okay. Everything that's dealing with personnel, you're responsible for it. And I want you to work on that. Um, XO, you're everything that's maintenance and systems in this company. And myself as the company commander, I'm going to go spend the time with the platoons. And the last thing I have to say on this, Drew, is it seems counterintuitive to the mission command structure, but I recommend that everyone across the Army start being draconian on what happens on what days of the week. So I, I believe is that battalions on Monday, brigade owns Friday, and Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the company zone. And so a battalion, if you want to do something, do it on Monday. You want to have a USR? Okay, you're going to do it Monday. Um, and load up and feel unashamed that you're going to take up that company commander's day all day Monday mm -hmm. if you have to. Because you give him the next three days and, and he knows he gets it. Yeah. Right. And But we we don't want to do that. Or lazy lazy staff officers will schedule a meeting right on top of the company training meeting. And it just crushes them. But if everyone in a battalion is brigade and division is conducting their training meeting, company training meeting at 1300 on Wednesday, okay, then nothing, that becomes sacred. But we, we're going to need to get a little more strict and draconian before we can let off of it or we'll, we'll never get it right on track. Yes, sir. That's a, that's great advice. And that is a big deal too. I am, you know, I am learning that now even you know as uh, what eight months into command i'm still trying to figure that one out uh, that's good thank you sir uh sir uh, bef uh, before we go and i thank you so much for taking the time uh, today i, I want to ask you about family uh, and how you balance the needs of the army with with your family over the years because it's something that you know we all struggle with and just i'm just curious how you've tackled that over your career yeah so it's really hard and uh, a good friend of mine gave up brigade command was speaking about balance and said, you know, if I had complete balance in my life, I probably wouldn't be a brigade commander. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I, I thought it was an interesting perspective. Uh, what I've tried to do is quality over quantity. Um, when I'm home, I'm home. I don't, I try not to walk in the door on the phone. I, I get engaged in what my, I have three daughters. I get engaged with what my daughters are into. I, I've, I've reluctantly realized that they're not that excited about University of Kentucky basketball. 
but they were really into high school musical in the day. And I've watched that and done all that with them, you know, so now they're older, uh, but what are they into? And, and I think if you can get that quality, it makes up for the quantity, but there's also a component of self-sacrifice here. Um, when you have young kids, uh, and if your wife is fortunate enough to stay at home, uh, with the kids, it's a long day for her or for, or I should say your spouse for her or him. Uh, it's a long day with young kids. So one technique is your workload's not going to go down. So wake up early. Uh, and I would wake up at, you know, three forty-five in the morning, go to work, uh, get a couple hours in when my mind's fresh before PT, do PT. Um, then if I'm close enough and lucky enough to come home, you know, see them off to school, uh, go back to work after a shower, then, uh, spend the day in meetings. And then I had a contract with my wife. I would be home for bath time. And so by that time she needs a break and I'm there. And that's bath time, that's reading, and, you know, dirty little secret. That's a fun time of the night. I mean, so, like, you almost feel guilty because she's been dealing with, you know, spilled, spilled uh, messes all over the house, and you're getting to have a fun time, of, you know, reading to your kids and stuff. And then following that, you got to spend some quality time with your spouse and, and actually communicate. And so that's, that's what I try to do. I'm, I am not always successful. Um, but that, that is the, the model that I try to use. So that's great. That is really good advice for us. Um, wow, I, I appreciate it. And, and, uh, and again, sir, just thank you so much for taking the time there, uh, to, to in, invest in the audience here that's listening and, um, and sharing the insights that you had over the course of your career. Uh, it's, I guess it's getting, uh, um, you've got a full day there in Europe, understand. So uh, best of luck to you and what the big red one is doing there. Um, we look, look forward to, uh, uh, look, look forward to seeing it. Well, I'll tell you what, Drew, um, I appreciate you having me on big fan of the military leader and across all aspects and a big fan of yours. So continue to, Help us uh, see ourselves. I think you do that very well. And whatever you need, whatever, you just say the word. And uh, I'm in your corner. So I appreciate you. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, sir. We'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed that chat with General Ross Kaufman. And if you were like me, then there were several times during that conversation that you sat back and said, man, I need to do that a little bit better. Probably resonated with you as it does every time I speak with him. So thank you, General Kaufman, for taking the time and investing in the military leader audience. We truly appreciate it, sir. All right. For the next guest on the military leader podcast, I've got a buddy and a peer of mine. He is a current squadron commander in 132 Cav over in the 101st Airborne Division. His Lieutenant Colonel Adisa King. And Adisa, how can I say this, is pure energy. And that is why I was really excited to get him on the phone and chat about his approach to command and how it's going and then his leadership perspective. I'm going to give you a little glimpse of that right now. And I think you will get excited because in his interview, he brings 
Uh, he brings some energy and some passion, and you just want to jump out of your out of your seat and go follow him anywhere. So here's a little glimpse of next week's conversation with Adisa King. You become a tune leader. You first need to listen. Shut up and listen. Now you have to earn the earn their earn their trust. Where it's okay to ask questions, because when they when you ask them questions, they're saying you're saying to them. I don't know everything, but I want to understand how you fight and what you do. And I promise you, I'm going to give you my all. And the same, same perspective when we have young guys come in. Instead of them trying to say, hey, look what I did back when I was in high school. Because I told them real quick, I don't give a dang. I don't care what you did in high school. It doesn't matter. This is D1 football. Shut up and, and listen. So in that same way, I, had, I reversed my, my concept of when I came in as a PL. And it was for me, it was a different because I did not know that I was even going to graduate until two hours before graduation. So my perspective was like, I don't care where y'all sent me. I don't care what it is. I just know this. I'm a second lieutenant and the army has given me opportunity and I'm not going to waste it. So so my perspective as a lieutenant was like, hey, they want me to go this way and jump this high. Roger that. Where you want me to go? <laughs> All right. Look forward to that interview with Lieutenant Colonel Adisa King next time on the Military Leader Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening and checking it out. I hope this podcast is relevant for you and I hope it's making a difference. If it is, please share it with your network, your team, your family, your friends, anybody who, who you think might be interested in developing themselves as a leader and then growing their own teams. I truly appreciate the reviews and the ratings folks have left on iTunes. And if you haven't seen it yet, I also put the Military Leader Podcast on Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Play and Spotify will be coming real soon for all you non-Apple folks out there. Or if you want, you can just head over to themilitaryleader.com slash podcast to check out all the episodes so far and play it directly directly from the website. And while you're there, be sure to connect on social media and subscribe by email so that you get notified when there is a new podcast episode or a blog post. Thank you again for listening today and being part of the military leader community. Until next time, lead well.